I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we're reading Revelation chapters 4 through 8. This is the New King James Version of the podcast. The King James Version is also available. First, let's say a word about the study of prophecy. My first serious study of Revelation began back in 1973. That's when I was pastor of my first church. I went to the local Christian bookstore and bought the leading book on prophecy. It was a book entitled Things to Come by J. Dwight Pentecost. It was written in 1958, but it still remains the leader of books on the subject of prophecy. Pentecost covers nearly all the prevalent views on the subject, and he explains why one view is to be preferred over another. Now, the purpose of these summaries on Revelation is to provide a framework for studying the book. I'll generally just give you my thoughts and views on these passages, skipping the alternate views that I have dismissed as less likely. If you want to do an in-depth study of prophecy, I suggest that you start with a copy of Things to Come. Now, I will say that from time to time you'll see uh, links on my pages entitled Additional Reading, and you can look at those and get some other ideas with regard to alternate positions on various prophetic topics. So let's begin today with Revelation chapters 4 and 5 with an overview. Revelation chapters 4 and 5 are without question the events that take place in heaven. The time of these events are more likely immediately following the rapture, the event detailed only by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 to 58, and 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. Events on earth after the rapture are not revealed until we get to Revelation chapter 6. Among those fundamentalists who accordingly agree that the final return of Jesus Christ takes place before a literal millennium begins, there are three basic positions regarding the timing of the rapture of believers itself. The most commonly held view among fundamentalists is that the rapture takes place at the beginning of the tribulation, which is the position I hold. However, good men have proposed that the rapture takes place at the midpoint. That's called the mid-tribulation rapture position. And others have determined that believers will go all the way through the tribulation, and that's called the post-tribulation rapture position, and that makes the second coming of Jesus Christ the same as the rapture. Now, having carefully studied all three positions, I conclusively reject the post-tribulation rapture position as too inconsistent with other New Testament passages, well, such as 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18, and 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51-54, 2 Thessalonians 2 and 1 Thessalonians 5 and others. While the advocates of the mid-tribulation rapture position make some good points, the pre-tribulation rapture seems to fit more consistently with all the other scriptures regarding this period of time. The pre-tribulation rapture of believers is the most widely held view among fundamentalists. In chapter 4, we see that everything takes place in heaven. Verse 1, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance, 
and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and on the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Well, the events of chapters 4 and 5 all take place in heaven. That much is certain. I favor the position that the trumpet of verse 1 can probably be equated with the trumpet of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, where it's referred to as the trumpet of God, and then 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-two, where it's referred to by saying, The trumpet shall sound. Now, with that in mind, the events of Revelation chapters 4 and 5 are most likely the events immediately following the rapture in heaven. We find a lot of figurative language in this chapter, so let's establish a key for understanding the scenario here in heaven. God's the one on the throne, that much is for certain. His appearance here is similar to that of Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. The saints are represented by the 24 elders. We'll talk more about that in a few moments. Jesus appears as the Lamb in chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. There he's described in his Messianic context as the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David. The crowns that are thrown before the throne in this passage are likely the rewards given to believers for their works, as depicted in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 through 15. We do find mention of five specific crowns in the New Testament epistles. Perhaps those are related to the crowns found in this passage. We have a crown incorruptible in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 and 25, a crown of rejoicing in 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20, a crown of righteousness in 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8, a crown of life in James chapter 1, verse 12, and finally a crown of glory in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 2 through 4. Now, while we don't know for certain, let's list some reasons why the 24 elders likely represent the saints. These 24 elders are wearing white robes, crowns of gold, and are singing a song of redemption in chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. And that song of redemption refers to themselves as kings and priests, a title ascribed to believers in Revelation chapter 1, verse 6. Why 24? Well, here's a reasonable explanation based upon verses found in Revelation chapter 21, verses 12 through 14. That's where the New Jerusalem is described, and it says this, also she had a great and high wall with twelve gates, and twelve angels at the gates, and names were written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. 
Now notice the 12 Old Testament tribes along with the 12 New Testament apostles. The math works for the Old Testament and New Testament saints to be represented here by 24 elders. So if the above assumptions are correct regarding the identity of the 24 elders and the crowns, then here's the future scenario. Immediately following the rapture of believers, they will appear before God at the judgment seat. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, we find the details there. The judgment seat to be judged according to their works. 1 Corinthians 3.11-15 gives the scenario of that judgment. The reward for their good works will be in the form of crowns, which will be cast at the feet of Jesus in Revelation chapter 4, verse 10. Now, what about the four creatures that we just read about in Revelation chapter 4? The actual Greek word used here for creatures is zoon. It's a neuter gender noun from the same root as the verb form translated to live. It's not used in a negative connotation here, but simply should be viewed as living things. We don't have much to go on in determining their identities, but they are participants in the events of the tribulation and appear frequently in several passages in the book of Revelation, all listed in the written notes of BibleTrack.org for today. They're involved in the announcement of the seal openings, the first four seals in Revelation chapter 6, and they are seen around the throne in heaven in chapter 5 along with the worshiping elders there. In chapter 7, verse 11, and chapter 19, verse 4, they are seen worshiping God along with the elders. In chapter 15, verse 7, one of them is seen dispersing the seven vile judgments to the seven angels there. So we still don't know who they are, but we do know that they will be busy in heaven as assistants during the tribulation. In chapter 5, we're still in heaven. Verse 1, And I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals. And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much, because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth." Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels round the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessed and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb for ever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen, 
and the twenty-four elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. Well, a view of the judging God and the sacrificial lamb is seen in heaven in this chapter. Life on earth during the tribulation doesn't actually start until we get to chapter 6. We'll look at that in a few moments. All of these events of chapter 5 take place in heaven, and they are a continuation of chapter 4. The same characters are found in chapter 5 as chapter 4. Verses 1 through 8 of chapter 5 here deal with the opening of the book of judgments that begin to unfold on earth in chapter 6. You'll notice in verse 5 that the book has seven seals. These seven seals represent a particular judgment, the judgments that begin in chapter 6, where we see six of the seven sealed judgments revealed. The seventh is open in Revelation chapter 8, verse 1. We'll look at that in a few moments as well. And the seventh seal contains seven trumpet judgments. Six of the trumpet judgments are opened and explained in Revelation chapters 8 and 9. The seventh trumpet judgment is opened in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, and it contains seven vile judgments, very severe judgments. The seven vile judgments are opened and explained in Revelation chapter 16. Verses 9 through 14 introduce a heavenly song. It looks as though we'll be learning a new song in verses 9 and 10. It's a song of redemption of sinners saved by grace. While God and Jesus Christ are one, the two aspects of God as judge on the throne and sin payment, the Lamb, are seen in this very chapter. The creatures, also known as living creatures, are seen in these proceedings. They are involved in the worship of the Lamb. There's no question regarding the identity of the Lamb here. He's Jesus himself. We see that only Jesus is worthy to open the book which contains the judgments to follow. He's described in his messianic context as the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Regarding the description of the lamb in verse 8, to know that it is Jesus is all that can actually be known for certain based upon Scripture. His description here as having seven horns and seven eyes is interesting, but to explain the significance would just be a guess on my part. While a certain amount of educated speculation seems necessary at times while studying Revelation, Knowing the significance of the horns and eyes described here doesn't alter the fact that it's still a description of Jesus. In Revelation chapter 6, we see the life as it will be on earth the first day after the rapture, verse 1. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed with him. And power was given to him over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beast of the earth. 
And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer, until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who would be killed as they were, was completed. This chapter contains six of the seven judgments referred to in Revelation as the seal judgments. These judgments come from the book discussed in Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. I adhere to the most common position that chapter 6 here contains John's revelation regarding the first three and a half years of tribulation, the entire period, from the rapture to the entry of the beast of Revelation chapter 13, proclaiming himself to be God, which is called the abomination of desolation in Daniel 9, 24. And Second Thessalonians 2, it's also recorded. This first three and a half years is a relatively peaceful time with the whole world still digesting the disappearance of the believers who were raptured out. It's most commonly believed that the four horsemen spanned this period and that the transition of conditions on the earth during the first three and a half years is seen with these successive horsemen. Now, with that figurative scenario in mind, the four horsemen must represent the following. Horseman number one in verse two, peace at the hand of the conquering Antichrist. Many prophecy teachers point to the fact that this horseman has a bow, but no arrows. And that's an indicator, they think, that he really is a warrior, but conquering through negotiations rather than violence. The desecration of the temple marks the beginning of the reign of terror by the beast, and we're told in Daniel 9.24 that this takes place at the three-and-a-half-year point in the tribulation. Some see Jesus on this first horse, but that really doesn't fit the scenario. Horseman number two in verse three, followed by violence, people begin to turn on each other as a result of horseman number two. Horseman number three brings famine. The violence that was seen in under horseman number two brings the violence of horseman number three. And horseman number four, death. The famine brings on death. Now keep in mind that these are conjectures regarding the symbolism of verses two through eight. These four horsemen provide a sequence of events that begin in the first half of the tribulation, but may continue throughout the seven-year period. There is an interesting parallel between these four horsemen and Jesus' sequential outlining of the events during the tribulation in Matthew 24. I've provided a table below and the written notes here to show you the correlation between the events of the four horsemen in Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, and Matthew chapter 24, verses 4 through 9. And you really have to see that chart side by side to get the impact of it. So, I suggest you look at the written notes of BibleTrack.org for today. Verses 9 through 11 display the words of those who were slain, presumably by the godless beast, also many times called the Antichrist, as it's assumed that he will garner his worldwide influence and authority over the first three and a half years of the tribulation. Now, this assumption is based upon our knowledge that the tribulation period is seven years and that the midpoint is three and a half years, as referenced by Daniel in his prophecy and that the beast breaks a covenant that he previously established with Israel, also seen and explained in Second Thessalonians chapter 2 by the Apostle Paul. Therefore, there can be no serious challenge to the notion that the beast, also known as the Antichrist, plays a prominent role in the first three and a half years of the tribulation period. 
We have our first listed cataclysmic activity in verses 12 through 17 of chapter 6, verse 12. I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Chapter 6 really gets interesting in verses 12 through 17. There's volcanic activity and then an earthquake which wipes out some armies in the mountains around Jerusalem. And what causes this cataclysmic activity? Well, whatever it is, it darkens the appearance of the sun and moon. Sounds like an asteroid strike, doesn't it? That could cause havoc. Now, what about these armies? Well, I favor a position conjecturing that these are the armies of Ezekiel 38 and 39 from the north coming to challenge the authority of the beast, the Antichrist, who resides in Israel. The big problem for the army of the north comes when the volcano and earthquake destroy them before they can attack Jerusalem. Additionally, it makes sense that the beast will take credit for this miraculous destruction of the attackers and thus set him up for the abomination of desolation of Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. At this time, he'll declare himself to be God and command that regular sacrifices in the temple cease and that he be worshipped as God. This brings us to the midpoint of the tribulation, three and a half years have passed at this point. More is written about this in Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 to 31, and 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The tribulation period turns really bad after this midpoint. If you'd like a complete overview, then take a look at the notes on Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 to 31, to get more detail there. Now let's summarize chapter 6 and add a little bit of perspective. I hold the view that chapter 6 covers the entire first three and a half years of the tribulation. This period begins with the rapture of believers and concludes with the abomination of desolation. The battle of Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39 will be fought, which lists northern aggressors as the enemy attacking Israel. Just prior to the abomination of desolation, there will be a major cataclysmic activity on earth that will change the landscape and destroy the northern aggressors. Though not listed in this chapter, the beast of Revelation 13 will proclaim himself to be God. Daniel 9.24, 2 Thessalonians 2, both indicate that he will. Thus constituting the abomination of desolation, referred to by Daniel in Daniel 9.24-27, and then by Jesus Christ himself in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. That brings us to chapter 7, where we have 144,000 witnesses, and by the way, they're all men. Verse 1. After these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Gad, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Asher, 12,000 were sealed. 
Of the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Levi, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. Now, after chapter 6, our Revelation timeline is interrupted for an identity check of these 144,000 witnesses, the ones who appear right here in this chapter, chapter 7. Who are these people? Well, immediately after all believers are raptured to heaven, the pre-tribulation rapture position, there will be a brief time when no believers are present on the earth. After a short time, how short? Nobody knows. But after a short time, 144,000 Jewish men will miraculously get saved and become witnesses to the world, preaching salvation in Christ. The term, after these things, in verse 1, refers to the sequence in which John saw these four angels, not the sequence in which it takes place within the tribulation period. The term wind here, animas, seems to be a metaphor for judgments poured out on the earth. There is a lull in action while these servants are sealed. So here's what we know from Scripture about the 144,000 witnesses. First of all, they're sealed from harm, according to Revelation 7-4, with God's name in Revelation 14-1. There will be 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, according to Revelation chapter 7, verses 5-8. through We don't know why there's a variation of the listing of the tribes here. Dan is omitted, and the 12 is thus rounded out by listing Joseph and his son Manasseh. These 144,000 witnesses preach the salvation message according to Revelation 7, verses 9 through 11. They're all men, and in Revelation 14, 4, we see that. They are the first to be saved in the tribulation, Revelation 14, 4, and they serve to fulfill Romans 11, 25 to 27 in the salvation of Israel. Chapter 7 is not sequential in the outlining of events of the tribulation. It's a parenthetical chapter. And that chapter explains the events that characterize the entire seven-year period. The sequence of tribulation events resumes in chapter 8. Then we find a great multitude saved in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. Verse 9, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, and peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands. And crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where do they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know... So he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger any more nor thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes." Well, these are the people who get saved during the tribulation, apparently as a result of the ministry of the 144,000 witnesses of verses 1 through 8. The influence of these witnesses will be worldwide. 
These are the saved who came out of great tribulation, we're told. Jesus uses the term great tribulation to describe the period after the manifestation of the abomination of desolation in Matthew 24:21. Thus, we conclude that the great tribulation is a term used to differentiate the last half of the tribulation from the first half. A popular assessment regarding the identity of these people is that they are the ones who died as believers during the tribulation. The conditions before the throne, in verse 9, seem to be a picture of the conditions in heaven rather than the millennium. However, we aren't actually told that they died during the tribulation, and there's a slight problem with that understanding. We're told in verse 14, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These are more likely those who endure to the end of the tribulation and move on in to populate the millennium. As a matter of fact, verse 15 says that they will serve in his temple. The new Jerusalem has no temple according to Revelation 21:22. It says there, but I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Therefore, it must be that these survive through the tribulation and then are given a special place of honor in the millennium where Ezekiel's temple described in Ezekiel chapter 40, will be erected. Then the seventh seal is open in Revelation chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. Verse 1, When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints, upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. One of my Bible teachers contended that verse 1 proves that there are no women in heaven when it says, When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. (laughs) Now lighten up. It's a joke. It's a preacher's joke. Actually, I heard that from Professor Emerson Pent back in 1971. He passed away a few years ago, so let's just let him rest in peace. The silence is likely an anticipation of the terrible judgments immediately in store for the earth. What we do have in verse 1 is the seventh seal judgment. All of the other six seals were opened and explained in chapter 6. This seventh seal doesn't seem to have a judgment attached to it. Well, not so fast. It would appear that the seventh seal judgment contains the seven trumpet judgments introduced in verse 6. Now, don't get hung up on the seals, the trumpets, and later the vials or bowls. These are just tags to differentiate the judgments. I hold the position, and it flows nicely, that this chapter marks the beginning of the second half of the seven-year tribulation period. You'll recall from Daniel 9.27 and Matthew 24.15 that it is at the midpoint of the seven-year period when the beast, also known as the Antichrist, breaks his covenant with Israel. This is that point in time. Now, who are these saints in verse 3, and what are their prayers? This is the first of two references to the golden altar. These saints undoubtedly are the saved on earth during the tribulation. If you were saved during the tribulation, what would you be praying? Well, the prayers go up and judgment, as a result, begins. So the seven trumpet judgments follow as a result of the prayers of the tribulation saints, it would appear. Then we have the first four trumpet judgments in Revelation chapter 8, verses 7 through 12. Verse 7. 
The first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. And a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Then the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Then the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many died from the water because it was made bitter. Then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened. A third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. Now I get the picture. The relatively calm period of the tribulation, the first three and a half years, comes to a close at the end of chapter 6 with a battle and an earthquake, a volcano, or an earthquake that results in the destruction of the armies in the mountains around Jerusalem. At this point, which is the beginning of the second half of the tribulation, the beast, also many times called the Antichrist, takes control in the temple, and he insists that he be worshipped as God. And that's prophesied in Daniel 9.27 and Matthew 24.15 and also 2 Thessalonians 2. Now, as for the second half of the tribulation, it's horrific. Something cataclysmic happens on earth as described by these first four trumpet judgments. So we see four of the seven trumpet judgments briefly described here, the first being hail and fire mingled with blood thrown down to the earth. The vegetation is subsequently burned up. Then secondly, we see a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. Something from above falls into and poisons the seas here. And then thirdly, a great star fell from heaven. Something from above falls into and poisons fresh water supplies. And then fourthly, a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars. The light emitted by these celestial bodies are diminished by one-third. This could be related to atmospheric conditions as in particles in the air. When I read verses 7 through 12, it reminds me of the results that we are frequently warned about if one of those asteroids our government tracks actually were to collide with the Earth. I think it's legitimate to guess that perhaps the Earth is struck by an asteroid to bring about this level of destruction. With the particles in the air, it is reasonable to conclude that the light from the sun and the moon would be diminished by one-third as well. Of course, the waters would be contaminated and the land, of course, scorched. Perhaps this is a follow-up to the same natural phenomenon that we see in Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 through 17, which we read earlier. And then the three woes we find aren't just rhetoric. Revelation chapter 8, verse 13. And I looked and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, because of the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. So after chapter 8, there are still three trumpet judgments to go. They are referred to here when the angel says, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, because of the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. These three woes enumerate the last three trumpet judgments. After the fifth trumpet judgment, it's said in Revelation chapter 9, verse 12, one woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. Then after the sixth trumpet judgment, it said in Revelation chapter 11, verse 14, the second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. So as you can see, the wording in verse 13 is quite significant. 
the tribulation is going to get much worse. Now, don't let it get you down. Believers at this point will already be gone in the rapture when all this takes place. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Faith Bible Church, Paul Walton.